0: Welcome to the front line with FPM, where we talk about California politics, homeschool freedom, parental rights, and the family. I'm your host, Nathan Pierce, and thanks for joining us today. Let's jump right in and see what's going on here on the front line. Well, hi, folks. Nathan Pierce here with Family Protection Ministries. It is April 20th, and I am. Glad to be here talking with you today about a few things. We're gonna first talk a little bit about AB uh, 659 and then a little bit about the types of education options we have in California and how some are more free than others. So let's go ahead and start with AB 659. AB 659 is that bill I've mentioned several times uh, over the over the last few weeks and the bill essentially mandates uh, a a vaccine for kids for school and also for college but it doesn't have an enforcement mechanism with the bill so it's awkward because it's a little different than other vaccine requirements have been um, proposed um, and that's uh, because the author wanted to give some flexibility and, and her words in the committee hearing she said yes it's a requirement but because there's no enforcement because the schools will not be required to check to see if somebody has been vaccinated yet um it allows families more time to make their decision to uh do get the required vaccine um for their child so um the next question is: So why why is this bill bad? So there's there's a number of issues here with this, and in order to get into them, we really have to back up a little bit to talk about what uh, the role of government is, the role of civil government, and as we talked about last week, uh, there are three different spheres of authority, uh, three different types of governments in in um, In the world and and we have a clear understanding of this from scripture of what the civil government's role is to be um the purpose of civil government is is to be to punish evil and to praise those who do good and uh this this concept of mandating vaccines is not really in the goal of government the role of government the purpose of government And it really actually falls, this is a a medical decision, uh, and it's a medical decision for a child. So that decision falls into the family sphere, the family government sphere, Um, parents making decisions on medical issues for their children. And that's really the appropriate place for these decisions to be made. And so 659 goes against that principle, that basic principle that parents should uh, be making these decisions for their own children so uh to go a step further though this bill uh impacts uh people in various types of school situations including those in the homeschool situation and 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 that would be in private homeschooling private schools this 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 mandate is still required is still is still there and it's it, again it's, it's difficult to get at how this is actually going to work itself out uh, because there's no enforcement mechanism. However, uh, one a committee member asked the question of the author on this bill, uh, how would a judge look at this? And is it possible that a judge could determine later that this needs to be enforced somehow because it's the policy of the state of California that this uh, vaccine um, be be given to children. So uh, there is a, a lot of big questions with this bill, not just from us. So uh, it's um, it's it's difficult to really figure out what to do with this bill because of these questions. And so, uh, like many others, we're asking for clarification in the wording, and um, we're also asking for in terms of. The, the other aspect of the bill, which is actually a notification about the importance of this vaccine, it's uh, how do we get this documentation to the people that they're saying they want it to be given to, which is all parents of schools, uh, all, all parents of, of children that are in school, and how, do we, how can we figure out how that's going to happen without some sort of government overreach or change in major policy with regard to private schools and home homeschools uh, done privately. So that's a big question, and we need to be continuing to pursue that. And so we appreciate your prayers as we as we seek out answers to that and try to come up with solutions to to different aspects of this. Um, ultimately, we would pray that um, that this bill has the worst parts of it taken out um, or maybe that the bill doesn't move forward depending on how the uh, how the author uh, handles the different aspects of the bill Um, but uh, you could pray for us that we'd have wisdom in working with the author and and also that we would be able to um, be able to speak to the people that we need to speak to and and be clear um, with them so that they can understand where we're coming from and so that we can come up with solutions that um, maybe make everybody happy. Doesn't <laughs> doesn't always happen, but uh, if you could just pray for us in that. Moving on from the discussion on, on that bill, I want to go into some principles of the different types of education options we have here in California. Um, we have quite a few, and they range quite a bit in terms of their flexibility versus their rigidity in terms of instruction, curriculum, things like that. So what, what are the options in California? And, and really they range quite a bit from what you might look at as the, the least free to the most free or the most rigid to the most flexible. Okay, so let's start with the more rigid end because it's, it's the more traditional school, the, the public, public campus school that's been around for a long time in California, and um, it's the most traditional form of education. Um, And and when you look at that, you see that there's a lot of Ed codes um, in terms of their policy, how they're governed, and and also with instruction uh, requirements and uh, how instruction is is given, as well as how um, curriculum is chosen and how curriculum is written and all of these things. So so that's the the more rigid end, uh, the more restrictive end of education where you have um, basically what you would think of when you think of a uh, government-run classroom, public school classroom. Now, coming back a little bit from that towards the more flexible end, you have within the public school system... um, the more traditional public schools, and then you have the the less the the newer or less traditional charter schools. Uh, they're all uh, in the public school sphere, but uh, you also have this other thing called a private the public school independent study program, and sometimes those run out of a traditional public school, um, or from a county superintendent's office, or from a district's office, something like that and those may be a little more flexible because they're dealing with a student that's um, not physically um, always at the school's campus. Um, They may be um, at home for part or all the time, Um, but that's a slightly uh, less restrictive, um, maybe more flexible option designed for some students. Now coming back from that more uh, toward the more flexible end, of the spectrum. You have the charter schools, which um, originally were even more flexible than they are today. Uh, There have been a tremendous amount of restrictions placed on the charter schools over the last, oh, 30 years or so. And I would say that it's um, becoming more and more like a traditional uh, school in terms of the number of restrictions on them. But all public schools, whether it's a public a traditional public campus school, a public school independent study program, charter school, uh, whether that's a campus-based charter school or a, a home-based uh, charter program, all of these function under the public school authority in California, which means that they function under uh, the provisions in the Ed Code created for government-funded education. Government-funded education is a term that I use because it specifically deals with something that the state constitution says about instruction and government money. Government money is not to be used for sectarian um, is not to be used for non, uh, sectarian uh, instruction or education because uh, the government doesn't fund essentially religious instruction. And so, all of these public school options, um, even though they do range quite a bit in their rigidity uh, towards the more flexible end, uh, you might see some uh, schools even bending on this constitutional issue. Uh, but the, the bottom line is that the constitution does state that government funds should not be, uh, will not be used for uh, religious instruction. And so then, um moving on f- from the charter options which are, you know, they they range within themselves. You have the the campus charters and the maybe the at-home charter options and then there's sort of hybrid uh, schools. Then there's then there's the private school options. And I'm just going to mention the three basic ones that most people use. One is the campus private school like maybe the big Catholic Catholic private schools and many others that are out there. Uh, then you have um, private schools that run private school satellite programs. They may be connected with a campus school, but not necessarily. Some are just a private school satellite program where they have a one uh, person that's handling all the paperwork and responsible for making sure that um, the students are learning and that they are um, up to the, the standards that are Uh, required of of private schools then you have uh, the the last and most flexible option which is a single family private school or a a private school where parents create their own private school they file a private school affidavit with the state of california saying we have a private school and we are under penalty of perjury promising that we will fulfill all the obligations of a private school and we're fulfilling all the requirements and it's a big uh, job, but it is also the most flexible option for uh, parents, for families in California. And it allows for the most um, flexibility in instruction, curriculum, etc. for individual children. So that, that end would be where you would find the most, uh, most extremely flexible options for um, individualizing your education program for a child. So, so that's sort of the the, the spectrum from from campus uh, traditional public schools all the way over to your single family uh, home based private school um, with all of those options in between. Uh, you can you can visualize that um, at, towards the more you go towards the traditional private uh, traditional public campus school, the more rigid uh, the school and the more. You move toward the flexible end towards the single family private school, uh, you end up with more freedom and options. So, if you're interested in, in learning a little more about this or visualizing it easier, there we do have a chart on our website. We call it our spectrum chart, um, so you can check it out there on our, on our website. Uh, there's another chart as well that's our public v private chart. Um, or public versus private education chart, which is also helpful in understanding how the law applies to different types of schools, um, because it goes into a little bit more technical um, code sections of what applies to where, but it also has a really clear line between public and private options that makes it um, easier to understand where uh, each individual education option sits with regard to the education code and the standards set up by the state. So um, hopefully this was helpful to you in understanding the variations on education options in California. And if you have questions, I'd love to hear them. Um, I'd love to follow up on this more in the future to help people understand better the different education options in the state and uh, what's the purpose of the different options? Why do we have so many? And um, really um, what's uh, the best choice for different people? it's really individualized. So, um, there's a lot of options out of there and we're a big state, so we have lots of options. So hopefully that was helpful and, um, we'll be talking to you again soon. Thanks. Moving on to, to the next point about uh, courage, give, uh, praying for them to have
1: courage. Mm-hmm. Yep. So uh, this is something that I get to see behind the scenes that that uh, people say, well, why, why are they voting this way? And why are they voting that way? And why are they making this decision? And why are they making that decision? And so often it's because uh, really they're being polled, right? in one direction or, or another, not by what they really believe personally, or by what they think is right, but by what is advantageous for their own career. And of course, we all know this is what politics is, in many cases, is people being pulled this direction and that direction. And, and in our system of government, they are representatives for their area. And they want to get reelected. And they want to keep their positions, and if they're a staff, they want a person or something, they want to stay in that position. So uh, we need to keep in mind that when we're asking government leaders to follow the Lord, we may be asking them more than we realize, asking of them more than we realize. We may be asking of them to actually make a decision that might cost their entire career, and that takes incredible determination on someone's part to knowingly do something that would significantly damage or destroy their career. And so they need God to give them strength of conviction and courage to do the right thing, no matter the personal results, or maybe it'll just hinder their career. Maybe they won't get on that committee that they wanted to get, or maybe they won't get that promotion they wanted to get. And, but all through God's word, we see him calling people to be courageous. So Samuel 10, 12, God said, Uh, Or it says, be strong and let us show ourselves courageous for the sake of our people and for the cities of our God. And those are the kinds of government leaders we want to have. We say, we're going to be courageous and do the right thing before God.
0: Yeah, yeah. And it can be incredible how much pressure there is, uh, both inside the Capitol, from outside the Capitol, from Mm -hmm. from. A number of, you know, maybe it might be groups of individuals back in, back in the area where they represent, or it might be um, organizations, or it might be other, other government leaders. That's you right. know? It can come from all over the place.
1: Yeah, and it can even be their staff. Government leaders have sometimes mm-hmm. told me, I feel awkward voting this way because some of my staff feel different. So there's personal dynamics, as you're mentioning, that we might not even be aware of. And so we need to pray for them to have that clarity that wisdom and that courage to do the right thing
0: yeah and it, and it can be hard especially when when you're in the, in the capitol building itself where there's so much pressure even just inside the building from lots of different places it, just being in there there's pressure um so right. yeah we do need to remember to to pray for for leaders for courage Thanks for joining us for this episode of The Frontline with FPM. For more information about the topics we discuss here, check out Family Protection Ministries at fpmca.org and subscribe to our channel.